there's an old saying that I've always heard and I'm always like, man, don't focus on the outcome. Focus on the habits that get you to the outcome. See, so much of life is having like, this is what God wants to do. See, Nehemiah knows the wall needs to be built. Without the wall being built, there is no protection for the children of Israel. God is our protector, but we actually need to do this. God isn't going to build the wall for us. We're going to trust him and build the wall. There's a mindset in the world today that people think they can be anything they want, but they don't want to do the work to become what they want to be. The same mindset can be found in the church. And today, Pastor Daniel will be addressing it. If you have a ministry goal in your heart, like being a pastor or going overseas to serve other nations, then start working on it now. There are related areas of need all around you, so step into the work. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 3 as he continues his message, Strength in Numbers. We saw in our last message that Nehemiah was God's man with God's plan, right? God wanted to use this man, Nehemiah. God gave him a vision to see the walls rebuilt and then ultimately the people rebuilt. But in order for this to happen, it wasn't just Nehemiah with an idea. In order for this thing to work, everybody needed to be a part of it. And so today we're gonna see how the community in Jerusalem is now engaging in the work of restoration of their community but they're all doing it together. And although Nehemiah was God's man with the vision, it's because of all of the people that this stuff comes to pass. And so in order to get at this, I would love for you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter three. Nehemiah chapter three. If you brought your own Bible, the book of Nehemiah is pretty easy to find. It's in about the first quarter of your Bible between the books of Ezra and Esther. So right there, if you find the book of Psalms, turn left. Find the book of Deuteronomy, turn right. If you're in Isaiah, turn way left, hard left. If you're in the New Testament, you got to go all the way back into the Old Testament. Pull out your smart device. You're going to be checking the sports scores. You're going to be looking at Instagram, and you're going to be reading your Bible. We know how it goes. It's how it always is. But open up your favorite Bible app. Type in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, we're going to be covering chapters 3 and 4 together. And just to kind of put it in context, remember, Nehemiah was the third wave of people returning from what was Babylonian exile. And remember, the Babylonian empire was conquered by the Medo-Persian empire. And it's really under this, right now, Nehemiah's king, this man named Artaxerxes, that really what you have is you have this third return. The first return was with a man named Zerubbabel. I keep reminding you, if you're having little boys, Zerubbabel's a great name. It's super uncommon. It's super cool. You know, you just call him the big Z. You know what I mean? It's a great name. So the first came back with Zerubbabel. Then the second group came back with a man named Ezra, who's the the person who the book of Ezra is kind of written by. And then the third wave comes back with this man, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter three, it's so easy when you read a chapter like that in the scripture or you have it read to you that you ask yourself a simple question. Why would the spirit of God inspire that in the scriptures. Am I the only one who asked that question? It's a great question. Like, why is that in there? 
And it's a simple answer. It wants to teach us an important lesson that it takes everyone to be strong. It takes everybody. Everybody has to be involved. It takes the whole community to be strong. Every single person. And really what you find here is that in the work of what God wanted to do, everybody had a part to play. Now you can imagine if you're in Jerusalem at the time that Nehemiah comes and he says, listen, we need to rebuild these walls. This thing is broken down. We need to do this work of restoration. And you could say, you know, listen, I don't feel like doing that. And you choose not to, but you don't even realize that what they're doing together has huge significance, that ultimately thousands and upon thousands of years later, their names are in the word of God for their faithfulness to do what God has placed in front of them. Because what Nehemiah believed God wanted took the entire community's involvement. Now, really all this is, is it gives the account of the repairs starting at the sheep gate, which was in the northeast of the wall and then moving counterclockwise around. And it's just a very systematic laying out of this person did this, this person took this section, this person took this section. And what you find is that there are common people and there are priests involved and there are all these different people, but everybody is serving together. And because everybody is involved, the work is happening well. You know, there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And God created the people of God to be a community of we share a vision for who Jesus is and then we get involved. There's a principle in the scriptures that really says that strength is multiplied when people work together. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine to 12, where it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, it's a simple, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is is a book of wisdom. It's talking about not only our relationship, but don't ever forget the fact that when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out what? Two by two. Jesus never sends somebody else out alone. Why? Because they would go for both protection and fellowship. And God created us for relationships. And really what goes on then is in order for the work that God wants to do to come to pass, we need to realize that we need to be part of something bigger. And it's one of the reasons I believe that God has for, oh, for 45 years has been doing such an amazing work here at Crossroads. Because we like to say that because Jesus is real, we're a family of faith who's fully engaged, transforming our community and our world. See, the idea is God's work of transformation, of restoration happens because all of us find our rightful place. We're a family of faith who's fully engaged. Everybody has roles and parts to play in what we do as a church family. And I just want to encourage all of you because Crossroads is an amazing place because so many people are involved in so many areas. And I realize that for those of you who are involved, you know the, the gift of serving. You know, you're more blessed to give than receive. 
And you're also, you realize that when you're serving other people and when you're, when you're engaged in the work of ministry, now all of a sudden you're being built up and you're being grown up and you get to use your gifts, you get to use your talents, you get challenged in different ways. You find yourself around people who maybe you wouldn't normally find yourself around. And you have to learn how to be gracious and kind. See, Jesus said that the greatest in his kingdom is the servant of all. And I'm here to tell you that you can't be the servant of all when you're busy serving yourself all the time. The way we become more like Jesus is to self-sacrificially give of ourselves. And in a lot of ways, what we see God doing right now in this year of restoration at Crossroads is we see so many people starting to engage either for the first time in serving the Lord here or people are starting to re-engage after some time away. Now, I, I know I, I felt like the Lord's like, Daniel, you just need to remind people, there's a number of people right now who God has been inviting you to take that step of faith to start serving again, and you haven't said yes. It's time to say yes. Part of what this last season of life has been with all that's gone on is people have gotten isolated, and nobody grows the most in isolation. So I know there's some of you right now, it's like you're like, oh, God's been telling me it's time to jump back in. It is time. In a way that you feel comfortable. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do it a certain way, but like given your comfortability level, and if you're like, hey, I'm not comfortable yet, then you have to say, Lord, will you bring me to a place that I feel comfortable so that I can re-engage? Because you don't even have to be engaged the way you were before to be fully engaged. But you see here that the work that God wants to do happens. We are stronger when we are together. One of the things that I've also found in my own life is that when I am not engaged with people, then the people don't see those slight changes that could lead to destruction later. It's kind of like when you start to struggle how you pull away from godly people. Am I the only person who's seen this? Over and over again, I see this. I can always tell when someone's starting to struggle because they have all their reasons why they're pulling away from people, but really what it is is they don't want to be called out on the, on the slides in their character, the bad decisions. So people start to disengage. And I believe that it's really, it's the way that we choose to go our own way and we find all the reasons why. Like, oh yeah, it's a, you know, they, they weren't there for me. It's like, no, you stop talking to everybody. So I believe that the single greatest way to make sure that you grow in your faith is to be engaged where people are dependent upon you. It's what I always tell people, I'm like, one of the greatest gifts I have as a pastor, if I don't show up, everyone will notice. Like, can you imagine one day, I'm like, I just didn't feel like going, man. I just, like, didn't want to do it, you know? It's like, if I don't show up, everybody notices, right? And it's the gift of accountability. And in some ways, like, listen, Crossers is a big church, but it's really a, a small community. When you serve here at Crossroads, it becomes your tribe, the people that you grow with. And you want to be the kind of person, if you're not here on a Sunday, people notice, because that means that you are fully engaged, that you are involved in this. And so, I mean, Crossroads as a church, so much engagement, but I also realize there's so many more opportunities. And we don't only want you to serve here. We want you to get the gift of the fruit that is going to be born in your life from serving. It was great. We had a blood drive here this week. Folks from Crossroads serve at the Red Cross. I didn't even know it. We had a great time. It was, it was cool. Like me and Pastor Gabe, we were racing who could give their pint of blood quicker. I won. Woo! I bleed fast. That's what we learned. I can't run fast, but I can bleed fast, you know? But like, listen, how can we give? How can we serve? What can we do? What's the step that we want to take? When we're all together, it takes everyone for this work to happen. Now, as we move into chapter four, 
You begin to think that, man, this is rocking, man. Like, man, everyone's involved. This thing's gonna happen in no time. But guess what? We live in the real world. In the book of Nehemiah, and the Bible is honest about the issues in the rebuilding process. So check out Nehemiah chapter four. So it would have been great if there was no issues, but in the real world, especially when you want to step on out for Jesus, you and I, we need to expect opposition. You need to expect opposition. Nothing, no substantial change ever happens without there's some sort of pushback. Now, when I say we should expect opposition, it does not mean that we should make the mistake of thinking that just because there's opposition that it's always that they're wrong and we're right. Okay, because that's the big mistake you could make. You're like, man, I'm right and they're wrong. Sometimes the opposition is because we're doing things wrong. And I think a humble person would be willing to say, what am I getting wrong that's creating the opposition? But I think what's also really important is to remember is that God has a plan for each one of us and God wants to use us and we should go into everything expecting there to be pushback. Because I think what happens is there's an old saying that says expectations ruin relationships. Have you ever hear that line before? The idea is that whatever you expect, if you don't get it, then there's issues. So like one of the, I say expectations ruin relationships because oftentimes people don't know what people expect from them, right? And so if somebody doesn't give you what you don't, like if you don't give someone what you don't know they're expecting of you, they're gonna get upset with you. And if you go into following Jesus thinking that it's always going to be easy, then it's actually that expectation when you realize it's not easy and there is opposition, you'll feel bad about it. Like, man, I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. There's opposition. But all through the scriptures, what you find is that there is opposition to the work of God at every turn. There's opposition. And because there's opposition, we have to know this is what God has called me to and this is what I'm supposed to be doing because, you know, right away you have this man, Sanballat, and his friends. We met them in chapter two and now they're getting mad because the work is getting done and they went from just being, you know, upset about them doing the work that now it starts saying that Sanballat, he's furious and he's indignant and he's talking to people about it and he's really making fun of the Jewish people. He's saying, will these feeble, what are they doing? Are they going to fortify them? Are they going to offer sacrifices? He's like, he liked them weak. And now he sees them getting strong, he's getting nervous. Because the thing is, is that they may have been feeble, but because God is on their side, they're strong. And God wants to do a work, right? And so really what's going on here is now Sanballat and then his friends start getting involved. Like, man, we're going to make sure that they don't succeed. And they begin to undermine the work of the Lord, And I think we have this tendency to think if I step out with Jesus, it's all just gonna go easy. It's all gonna be so easy. It's all just gonna work so well, except when the pushback comes, we get nervous and we stop, but we can't stop. Now, don't ever forget this. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
But all these things they will do to you for my namesake because they do not know him who sent me. See, Jesus tell them, look, look, if they crucified me, if they killed me, if they came after me, they're gonna do the same thing to you. So he's like, I tell you this so you're not surprised when it happens. Now, can I say this? If you're a follower of Jesus, I realize not everyone here at Crossroads is. We love that about Crossroads. Everyone's on their own step of their journey. We wanna honor the step that everybody is on, right? We can't make anyone be on a different step. If God wanted you on a different step, you would be. You're where you are today. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the thing. If the world's gonna hate us, let's make sure they hate us for the name of Jesus and not some other cockamamie idea. Can I get an amen to that? So much of what people don't like about Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with all these other things that are not Jesus. And we made a, a decision here at Crossroads that if people are gonna not like us, it's because we believe the gospel. We believe in Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. We preach that there's salvation in his name alone. And all the other stuff, we're like all this cultural stuff that people are angry at. We're not gonna get involved in that because the main thing is who is Jesus and who are we in him? And if we're gonna get in trouble here at Crossroads, we're gonna get in trouble because we preach Jesus. We're not gonna get in trouble because we're on the side of a political party. Come on. Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, man. My Jesus never has to worry about getting voted out of office. Ain't no impeachment for my Jesus. Ain't no, we're gonna pack the courts, man. Listen, Jesus is solid. Everything else is shifting sand. And the key for us is we should expect opposite when we're doing the work that God has called us to do. And it's important for us because I believe that the cure to every ill is actually Jesus. I believe that when Jesus is front and center, there will be no injustice and the people of God will work against injustice. There's no racism in God's kingdom. There's no Jew or Greek or slave or free or man. We're all one in Christ. When Jesus is Lord, there's no sexism, racism, classism, you know, whatever ism. There's just Jesus and there's people who have inherent worth because they were created by God and they're sustained by God. It's so simple. And so you need to expect opposition. And I'm here to tell you, if you step out, start serving the Lord, especially if you've never done it before, people are gonna think it's weird. I remember when I first started walking with Jesus, my family thought I was in a cult. Seriously. They sent my aunt out on like a checking it out mission. My dad was like, I'm gonna give you a Christmas present. Are you gonna give it to the church? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't know, man. You're all religious all of a sudden. I started laughing, you know. And now years later, he's like, no, no, I, I get it now. But in the beginning, he was like, what's wrong with you? I always like to joke that in my family, there was nothing worse than being a professional musician, which is what I was, until I decided I wanted to be a pastor. <laughs> and they were like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but there's all this opposition. You see what's going on here for Nehemiah? They're not just building the walls. There is some serious opposition. But the question now becomes for Nehemiah and the children of Israel, what do they do in the face of the opposition? So what I love so much about Nehemiah is he didn't just pretend that the opposition wasn't happening. He adjusted what he was doing. The work still needed to get done, but now there are new variables that are at play. And it teaches us, this is an old business maxim, but it's got great spiritual insight into it. You have to remember, my friends, that your strategy determines your outcome. Your strategy determines your outcome. 
See, Nehemiah had already come. He knew that the goal was to build the walls. He knew that he had to rally the people. We saw it in chapter three. He's got all these different people, all in different places. Everyone's building the wall. Everyone's doing their part of it, right? And then all of a sudden, now that there's this oppression that's coming from the outside, they're expecting this this invasion from every corner, from all these different people. So Nehemiah says, okay, we need to build the wall. But now we have to protect ourselves. And so what you find is he adjusts the strategy. He doesn't stop building the wall, but now he's got people there and they're, they're working with one hand. They have their swords on. There are people who are doing construction. There are people who are literally on the security team to make sure that if something were to happen, now all of a sudden there is protection for the people. There's also, he makes sure that there was a guy with a trumpet because you could imagine in this city, if something happens on one corner, you won't know about it. And so the, the sound of the shofar, the trumpet call would let people know there's an invasion over here and then people would rush over there to help. Do you see, but what he's doing here is he knows the walls need to be built, but he knows that he has to make sure he doesn't, keep people unsafe. And it's so beautiful because really what's going on here is he's still accomplishing the goal, but he's adjusting his strategy to make sure that the goal gets accomplished. This reminds me, of course, of the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 18 in the King James Bible where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. That there needs to be a vision. And really what I want to tell you is that The way that God wants to use you, you have to have a vision for the life that God has given you. You know, there's an old saying that I've always heard and I'm always like, man, don't focus on the outcome, focus on the habits that get you to the outcome. See, so much of life is having like, this is what God wants to do. See, Nehemiah knows the wall needs to be built. Without the wall being built, there is no protection for the children of Israel. God is our protector, but we actually need to do this. God isn't gonna build the wall for us. We're gonna trust him and build the wall. But he's like, well, how am I gonna get to that outcome? Right? So he's like, this is what we're gonna do. Everyone's gonna build. We're gonna have families together. Now, it's a smart leadership move that people were building next to their families because any father is going to protect his kids, right? That's the idea of it. That, you know, if there's an invasion, they're not going to run because their family is there. They're going to protect their family. And so what goes on now is now we have to work a little bit differently to still accomplish what we want to accomplish. And the key is, is that whatever your strategy is, whatever the ways that you're choosing to get at engaging in God's kingdom right now, you have to look at, is what I am doing going to get me to where I want to be? You know, I was talking to someone recently about this, and they were talking about ministry and their love for ministry. And I'm like, listen, if you want to be a cross-cultural missionary, you should be working with people cross-culturally in the United States right now. Like if someone's like, hey, look, all I want to do, I want to be a youth pastor. It's like, well, are you serving students right now as a volunteer? Because I'm here to tell you, if you're not serving them now, if you get the job, no one's going to give you the job because there's no proof that you're good at this. Jesus is real. How are you engaging in God's kingdom right now? It's a question Pastor Daniel brought up today as he talked with you about serving the Lord in ministry. You may have a passion or a vision for who you think God wants you to be, but are you taking steps in that direction? Pastor Daniel encouraged you to seek the Lord for what his plans are, but to not wait around. Step into the work that's right in front of you. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. You remember the game Whack-A-Mole, where you take a foam mallet and try your best to keep that mole down in his hole? Not an easy game. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk about the life version of Whack-A-Mole. The day-to-day stresses and details that keep popping up, no matter how hard you try to push them down. But guess what? You can invite God into those little issues. What a difference He can make. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.